Uh, And that's what we get to do as followers of Jesus. We leverage wherever God has placed us for the sake of Jesus. Maybe it's in athletics or in business or in gardening or whatever your passion is. You leverage that for the sake of the gospel. That the relationships that God has put you in, the community, the neighborhood, the apartment building, your workplace, wherever it is, we leverage that for the sake of Jesus. And this is what we do as followers of Jesus. And this is what the Westwood's been doing for more than four decades. You see, it was about 40 years ago, there was a, a small group of people who gathered in the heart of Alabaster who began to pray about starting a church. And when they began praying together, they were just saying, Lord, would you give us the opportunity to start something here for the fame of your name? Well, on January the 4th of 1981, Westwood Baptist Church was born. And through that early season, there were growth pains. A lot of people came, but there also came great significant financial trial and difficulty. But when things got really difficult for the church, what was amazing as I study the history of our church is the generosity of God's people to see the church persevere. People began selling boats and jewelry, people taking on second mortgages on their home, making significant sacrifices to make sure the church would stay afloat. Little did that small church that began 41 years ago have any idea that for the next four decades, God would use that church to reach thousands of people with the gospel, send missionaries all over the world, plant churches all across the nation, and also send millions of dollars to the nations so that the name of Jesus might be known. It's because of the sacrifice and the financial generosity of a local church, the gospel goes forth. Well, that is a picture of what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going through the book of Acts together as a faith family in this sermon series entitled Sent. For these five weeks, we're doing a little mini-series on verses 42 through 47. And we as a church, we're memorizing Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, I hope you're doing a lot better than I am. I've almost got it. I'm so close. But you can ask my men's group. He's just not nailing it yet. Okay, so if you haven't had it memorized yet, that's okay. Let's persevere. But we're trying to commit this passage to memory because this passage of Scripture in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it, it shows us what not only the culture of the early church, but how the, these five marks of a gospel-shaped community. We've been covering these, these five weeks. Man, the first week, there's biblical teaching. We see where the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second week, we looked at reverent worshiping, where indeed everyone was filled with awe. God's presence rested heavy upon his people. We saw last week that there's this sacrificial living that all believers were together and held all things in common. That indeed in light of Christ's sacrifice for us, we gladly and joyfully and willingly sacrifice ourselves for the good of brother and sister. We're going to see today here in the text what Luke is describing as generous giving. 
Here in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon God's people. Pentecost has occurred. This early church has gathered together. And we see this work of the Spirit where hypocrisy is despised. Love is abounding. And there is this groundswell where the Holy Spirit is creating a new kind of people. I was thinking about this week. That when you read Paul and Peter's letters and the rest of the New Testament, they're pointing the churches back to Acts 2. They're pointing them back to this kind of culture of love and generosity and in sacrifice. You see, when the Holy Spirit grabs hold of the church, God's people become not only generous, but faithful. And that's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. Let's look at the scriptures together. The Holy Spirit inspired these words. He wrote, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. When God gives a gift, it's always going to be generous. God is a generous God. He is bountiful. He is not stingy. He is not a tight-fisted Ebenezer Scrooge. He is big-hearted and abundant in his generosity towards you. We know this because of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He is a generous God who loves to give good gifts to his children. You see, Jesus is God's greatest gift of generosity. He is not cheap. He's not a cheap imitation. He is God's first and God's best gift to us. That he left the glory of heaven and humbled himself and came to earth. He willingly gave up his life for us at the cross to ransom you for God. When we get to Acts 2, we see how the early church, they're modeling the generosity of God through their giving. And I want us to see today how we can do the same. I want you to see this first truth we see in the text. The first is this, is that the people gave voluntarily. They gave voluntarily. What we see in verse 45 is the people voluntarily, happily, willingly, gladly, freely giving their resources. There's no coercion. There's no manipulation. There's no pressure from the apostles. The church was voluntarily giving of their possessions and property to meet the needs within the church. Now, let's, let's be clear here. There have been some who have sought to argue from this text uh, an argument for socialism from right here in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. But may I say to you, this is not socialism, okay? For this is holding all things in common. This is voluntary, it's temporary, and it's motivated by love, 
This is not a a government mandated. This is not the apostles being heavy handed. The people are so overwhelmed by the gospel. The Holy Spirit is resting so heavy upon their gatherings that it's just this joy-filled willingness to be generous with their resources. Their hearts are overflowed by what God is doing. Now, before you and I categorize first century believers as, well, they don't have it as hard as we have it. Yeah, they were generous, but they don't have all of the, the resources or, the, or the, even the needs that we have today. May I say to you, they had to pay taxes just like us. They had to raise children just like us. They had to feed their families just like us. Furthermore, the early church, they didn't have the benefit of political protection like the First Amendment. There was no tax break for giving to the, to the church. They didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have Social Security as protection. You see, giving was a true act of sacrifice. And here they are, verse 45, voluntarily liquidating their assets for the good of their neighbor to care for their brothers and sisters. About 25 years later, it's these same believers in Jerusalem, this church, that's going to be struggling financially. They're going to be absolutely poor because of the persecution that they're going to face. So much so that Paul tells the Corinthian church that he is challenging them to be generous towards these people right here. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. You see, the call to give, according to Paul, is not with hesitation. It's not with reluctance. It's not based upon pressure. It's not based upon guilt. But it's from a heart that is overflowing with love and with joy. That that word for cheerful, it's similar to our word for hilarious. You know that feeling you get when you get so tickled that you can't stop laughing? I mean, you're just with a best friend or your spouse or a child, and you're just laughing hysterically, and it's just so hilarious you can't stop. This week, Christy and I, we went to a a school function that was hosted in a church worship uh, gathering space, and we're sitting on this pew in the back, (laughs) and my wife texts me something, and it was so, (laughs) it was so funny. I've got, I'm doubled over in tears. We're on the back row, okay, because I was like, I don't want to, and she, and I'm, I'm laughing hysterically, and all of a sudden, she gets tickled. And everybody around us is quiet. You know, they're like, have this whole, you know, we're celebrating these graduates or whatever. And we're in the back just dying laughing. You ever been in church trying not to laugh? Y'all, it's next to impossible, okay? And literally the pew starts shaking because we are laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're laughing so hard over what she said. I can't tell you what she said. It was hysterical. It was fantastic, all right? You know that feeling of just overwhelming joy and laughter? God is saying, this is the kind of heart I'm looking for in your giving. It's hilarious. It's over the top. It's full of joy. It's like, oh man, I can't believe I get to be a part of this. That's what Paul's driving home. And that's what's happening in Acts 2. Is there's a sense of giving where it's like, man, this is awesome. And we get to be generous. We get to give. It's this hilarious giving. It's over the top. And this is the heart of what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. God loves a cheerful giver because he is the ultimate cheerful giver. God delighted in giving his son. 
It took great delight and joy within his heart to offer up Jesus. You see, God did not send him reluctantly, but voluntarily. And when God gives a gift, he's always bountiful. He gives his best. So he sends his son and he has a cheerful heart. And so he delights to see his children who become more like him. He's a cheerful giver. And so God loves it when we become more like him, when we mirror his character, when we come more and more like him. And what we see is a, a generous giving. You see, the early church was full of givers who voluntarily opened up their pocketbooks and their possessions and their property. Question, what about you? Are you one who is very open-handed with what God has entrusted to you? Are you like, you know what, this stuff is not mine. I'm open-handed. I want to be a blessing. I'm not going to hold fast to it. Do you love to open up the safe of your resources, to be generous? You see, the depth of your relationship with God is revealed through your calendar and through your bank statement. How you spend your time and how you spend your money are theological declarations in which you are declaring what's important to you. And there's no hiding it. When you open up your bank statement every month, when you look at how you spend your time, they reveal priorities. They show what's important to you. And where you give your time and where you give your money shows what's going on right here in your heart. So my question is, what does your calendar and what does your bank statement say is important to you? Does the idea of loosening your grip on your money, does it make you uneasy? Does the voluntary selling of your possessions make you anxious? You see, there's a powerful relationship between our relationship with God and our attitude towards money. But this is where the gospel changes everything. You see, the gospel transforms the selfish into the selfless. If you want to know what voluntary giving looks like, look at a blood-stained cross. That is where we go to see what it means to voluntarily give. If there is even a whiff of selfishness in your heart, then today may be the day in which you repent and you run to a bloodstained cross and say, Lord, I don't want to make my life about me anymore. I want to take my hands off of the wheel of the direction of my life. God, I'm surrendering all that I have and all that I am to you, including my resources. I'm open-handed. I'm tired of just protecting God. I want to be open-handed and generous. You see, when you see what Jesus has done for you in the gospel, that he selflessly, sacrificially gave his life for you, it compels you to do the same. Paul says it like this in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, you can't outgive God. He gave you his best. Here he is. He empties the treasury of heaven by sending forth his son for you. And so in this generous gift, you're like, oh man, in light of your generosity, oh God, I now am the one who's going to be generous. Because not only did he give you his son, will he not also with him graciously give you all things? God has more gifts he's going to give you, more than just his son. His son would be enough, y'all. Eternal life, that's, a, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'll take that. But God has so much more. 
God loves to give you more and more of himself. He loves to provide for you and to to show his power through his provision. So what does this look like? I want to take a moment and I want to present to you four simple truths to understanding biblical stewardship. Four simple truths to understand biblical stewardship. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. These are also available on the Westwood app in which you can grab this information. There's a lot of scripture I want to, I'm going to bring before you. The first truth is this. God is the owner. God is the owner. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is not a square inch over all of creation in which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say, mine, Abraham Kuyper. You see, everything belongs to the Lord, the mountains and the valleys, cosmos and cauliflower, bunny rabbits and sharks. The whole earth is his. Every square inch is his. And that means everything you own is his. Your property is his. Your house is his. Your car is his. Your clothes are his. Your phone is his. All of your possessions are his. They do not belong to you ultimately. They're not yours. He is allowing you to hold them very temporarily and very briefly. 1 Timothy 6 says you can't take it with you. All right, it's very brief. And ultimately, God is the owner over all that is in your possession. And he is the rightful owner, and he is the potter. We are the clay. He is the master. We are the servants. And may I say to you, he's also the owner over your life. You are alive and breathing only because he said so. You have the ability to see right now only because he said so. Everything that you have, he has provided for you. And you are just temporarily holding on to it, which we'll see in just a moment. But you've got to get this foundational principle we see all throughout Scripture. God is the owner. But number two, you are the manager. You are the manager. A manager, a steward is the word the scripture says, oversees the affairs of his master's house. All right. So what's the most important characteristic of a successful manager? It's one word, faithfulness. Faithfulness is the characteristic that stewards, managers are required to be. Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy 4.2. It is required that managers be found faithful. Well, as brothers and sisters, what you possess, your money, your stuff, your job, your family, your entire life, God has given to you to manage, to steward. And just as a master will ask their workers what they have done with their resources, one day you and I, we will give an account before the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will receive a reward for faithfully stewarding what he has entrusted to us. And whatever you have in your possession, God is the owner. He's called you to manage, to steward, to oversee it. Well, How can you and I make sure that on the last day, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, I think at least to number three, invest in the kingdom. 
We are a people who leverage our resources for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. Our giving is an investment that produces eternal dividends. We want to see people's lives changed by Jesus and for Jesus. So we invest our resources to that end. Okay, so where do I begin? What's the starting point? Well, when you get to the Old Testament, the starting point, the floor, is the tithe. It's 10%. That's where it all begins. It's not the ceiling. That's the starting point. Now, I've heard some who've argued, well, Kent, that's Old Testament. That's not New Testament. We don't see that in the New Testament. I want to push back. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus called out the Pharisees and the scribes because he says, listen, you tithe off of all of you, all that you, all of your stuff. You tithe, but you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He calls them out. And he says, these you should have done without neglecting the other. I think there's an argument that could be made that as followers of Jesus, we begin with that 10% mark. Now, you may be starting thinking, 10%? Oh, my, I'm nowhere near that. Can I say to you, Jesus still loves you? That's the beauty of the gospel is that we don't give to earn God's favor, and we don't, we don't give to get rid of guilt. Remember, we're cheerful, hilarious givers. We get out of the overflow of the joy of the gospel, Right? So I want you to feel this, is that there's not this sense in which you feel, oh, shame and guilt. And that's not what Scripture's driving towards, towards. He's driving us to the gospel where we look unto Jesus who generously gave his all. And so now we, we start there. And so one of the challenges I would place before you is that you would say, Lord, I'm going to put you to test here. Did you know the only time in Scripture that God invites us to test him is when it comes to giving? He says, put me to the test. Watch and see if I will not provide. And can I just say to you, I don't say this braggadociously, God has been so kind. Christy and I, at the very early in our marriage, we said, we're going to be, we're going to be generous. And we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we just, we, we set the tone. And y'all, if you could just see, I wish I could have time to tell you story after story after story in which God just provided. I was talking with a, a church member this week in which she had an unforeseen bill come up in her life. And she was just like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. And she said, so I prayed. And I was like, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And within a matter of days, she got a check in the mail with the exact amount down to the penny. And that came from a doctor's office from two years ago that she went to, had completely forgotten about that she had overpaid. So it's just like, y'all, and let me just say it like this. The whole thing is rigged. <laughs> God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows what your financial needs are. And he loves to display his power by showing how he's going to meet those needs. That when you say, God, this doesn't make sense. I'm a little terrified here. And he's like, that's exactly where I'm going to begin to work and move. Watch him work when you just open up your hands. You take your white-knuckled grip off of your possessions and off of your money and just say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to say, God, you're going to have to provide here. Which leads us to number four is that you will reap eternal rewards. Jesus repeatedly taught his disciples, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, 
where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, you, uh, your heart may be also. You see, God promises a great reward for those who leverage their resources for the sake of the gospel. That when you voluntarily and cheerfully give to advance the kingdom, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, instead of locking up resources, why not open them up and invest them for kingdom impact? You see, stewardship is an opportunity to see where God is at work and you join him there.